I see no children, and they're missing out. Uh, if any of you are watching online right now, you're missing out because in my children's message, the kids were going to get money. Yes, I was going to pay them for being here today. Uh, actually, I had a little lesson that goes along with my sermon today, and um, uh, an exchange of money is involved. So children, come back next week. Maybe you'll get an, a second chance. <laughs> So the rest of us, let's turn in our Bible to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel. We're going to start a new sermon series this morning. I don't know if you have looked into the life of David any time recently, but we're going to do a study of the life of David. And it's going to take us most of the fall, if not all the way till early next year. Now, why would we study the life of David? Well, he was a very important figure in the Bible. Uh, much of the Bible is either about David or is written by David or refers to David. So we, it behooves us as believers to know a good deal about David. He was a remarkable person. He was something of a Renaissance man, right? He was good at a lot of things. He was a musician, a poet, a writer, a shepherd, a soldier. Of course, he was a family man because he was a father and a husband. He was a friend. And of course, he was for some time a king. Yeah, a good king, one of the ones that were good. But more than that, David is someone with whom you and I can easily identify. He had struggles and he was very honest about his struggles. He wrote about his struggles. David was real, you might say. And he was not perfect. David was far from perfect. You're going to see in this series that he made some terrible mistakes and suffered the consequences of those mistakes as well. But the thing that stands out about David the most is that he had a heart for God. In fact, it is even said in the Bible that he was a man after God's heart. So for those reasons and more, we're going to look into the life of David. So today we're starting with the very first thing that we hear in the Bible about David, and it's in 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. So listen carefully to God's word. The Lord said to Samuel, and I'll tell you more about him shortly. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is God's word. Father, we ask now that you will send your Holy Spirit and illumine our hearts and minds and help us, Lord, to see and behold wondrous things out of your word. Change us today, Lord, more and more into your image and help us to see Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Have you ever seen the movie Rudy? Rudy? Uh, it's been around a while. It's uh, one of my favorite movies. Really, very good. It, it tells the story of Daniel... Uh, Daniel Rudy Rudiger, who was a guy back in the mid-1970s who desperately wanted to play football, right, for Era Parsegan and the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. And the odds were against Rudy because Rudy was short. <laughs> he was 5'7 and only weighed about 165 pounds. His application to transfer to Notre Dame was rejected three times. But Rudy would not be denied. He did everything that he could to become a Notre Dame football player, and eventually he achieved his goal. So if you haven't seen the movie, it, it is very, very inspiring. But there's one scene in the movie that perhaps you have heard about. Rudy goes to a Catholic priest at one point in the movie, and he's very frustrated because he hasn't been able to get into the Notre Dame football team. And he says to the priest, is there anything more I can do? Have I prayed enough, you know? And the priest says, that's not the problem, Rudy. And then Rudy says, then how can I know that I've done everything possible? And the priest responds with these words. Son, in all my years of theological studies, I've come to the conclusion that there are only two truths that I know for sure. There is a God and I'm not him. There is a God, and I am not him. That is true. There is a God, and we are not him. We are very different from God. How? How are we very different from God? Well, lots of different ways, right? He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We are finite, mortal, and constantly changing. He is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, and we're none of those things. And there are other differences as well. 
But the story that I read for you just a moment ago shows us another key way that you and I are different from God. And it's in verse 7, the second half of that verse. These are the words I want you to really never forget. It says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on what? The heart. Now, when we say the heart, I, I think you guys have been around long enough, you know we're not talking about this organ of the body that's pumping blood right now in each of our bodies. We're talking about something far more spiritual and far more uh, comprehensive. The heart in the Bible is the seat of everything that makes us human beings. It's the seat of our emotions, the intellect, the will, and the mind. In short, the heart is the person. It's who you really are inside. The person that you are when no one is around. In other words, the heart is you. And it says that God looks on the heart. He sees who we really are. And that's what we're wanting to talk about this morning. In verse 1, I'm going to review the story for you now because we're kind of jumping right in the middle of a book of the Bible. So let's review the story that brought us to 1 Samuel 16. In verse 1, we meet Samuel. And I told you I would tell you a little more about Samuel. In case you don't know who he was, he was a prophet of God. And for many years, he was also a judge, or that's another word for a leader of the nation of Israel. Samuel, what do you know about him? Anybody? Uh, Samuel was not a priest, I don't think. Was he? Prophet, yeah. He was a, Carlene? Yeah, that's right. Hannah prayed that she would conceive and gave birth to Samuel. God gave him to her. Was he a good man? Bad man? Good. Samuel was a very good man, one of the great figures of the Bible. But unfortunately, so many of the good men and women in the Bible also had a downside, right? They weren't perfect. And sure enough, about Samuel, when he got old, he appointed his two sons as judges. Their names were Joel and Abijah, and they were good or bad? Bad. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, they were bad guys. In chapter 8 of this book, it says that they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So these two sons of Samuel did not follow in his footsteps, unfortunately. So the people of Israel got together and they said to Samuel, we don't like your wicked sons. As a matter of fact, we don't even want judges at all anymore. Uh, we want a king. We want a king like all the other nations around us. We want a king to go out before us, they said, and fight our battles. Well, this broke Samuel's heart to hear them depart from uh, their past so dramatically like that. But God told Samuel, go ahead, Samuel, it's okay. Give the people a king because it's not you that they've rejected. It's me. It's me. They have rejected me, said the Lord, as their king. And so in uh, 1 Samuel chapters 8 and 9, 
God leads Samuel, this prophet, to a young man from the tribe of Benjamin by the name of Saul. And you saw his name referred to here too. Now what about Saul? He was a perfect specimen of a man in terms of outward attributes. According to chapter 9, verse 2, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. So ladies, if you'd seen Saul, you'd have been sitting duck for him. A handsome guy, if there ever was one. It also says there that from the shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So don't think about Rudy here. Think Jameis Winston, you know, the famous quarterback from Florida State, 6'4". That's the kind of man Saul was. And in chapter 10, we find out that Samuel, the prophet, anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. The date is about 1050 B.C. At first, it looks like Saul is going to be a great leader for Israel. But a few years into his reign, what do we find out? Yeah, disobedient. He's got some serious character flaws. In fact, do you remember Governor Elliot Spitzer of New York? You, you remember that name from the news some years ago? He was governor of New York for just a little over a year before he was caught in a moral scandal and had to resign. Spitzer, though, had promise. It looked like he had all this potential to be a great uh, governor for the state of New York. He had a lot of experience. He had a lot of gifts. But what it seems that Elliot Spitzer lacked was the same thing Saul lacked, character. And spiritually speaking, Elliot Spitzer had a divided heart. He was one thing on the outside and quite another on the inside. And that's the image I want you to have about King Saul. If you read 1 Samuel 13 through 15, the chapters preceding this one, you'll see that Saul was one thing on the outside and a very different thing on the inside. His heart was divided had divided loyalties. And because of that, God took the kingdom away from him and intended to give it to our character here in 1 Samuel 16, David. So it brings us to this text that I read for you a moment ago. In verses 2 through 5, Samuel goes to Bethlehem to anoint one of Jesse's eight sons to be king over Israel and to take Saul's place. So Samuel calls Jesse's family together, says, come on together here, family. And one by one, seven of the sons of Jesse parade past Samuel. First is Eliab. He was the oldest son of Jesse. Seems to make sense. The firstborn ought to be the king, right? That's the way things seem to work. He looks like he just came from the set of the bachelorette. I mean, this guy is tall. He's muscular. He's tan. He's athletic. Samuel says in verse 6, Surely this is God's anointed. He'd make a fine king. But God says no. No. Don't consider the, his appearance. Don't consider his height or his tan or his six-pack abs. Looks aren't everything, we would say in our present parlance. I've rejected Eliab, Samuel. He's not the one. Six more of the sons of Jesse file past Samuel. 
All are promising, all are naturally gifted young men. And one by one, Samuel keeps saying, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. Finally, Samuel says to Jesse, uh, is this it? Are these all your sons? And Jesse says, well, and you can almost see it on his face, you know, his eyes are rolling probably. Well, there is one more. He's the youngest, but he's out with the sheep, implying surely you don't want to anoint him as our king. But Samuel says, send for him. And you can just see everybody, you know, unbelief here. An hour later, in walks David, and Samuel says, rise and anoint him. He's the one. And David is anointed, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and begins his years of preparation that will lead eventually to the most glorious kingship in human history. Yeah, we're going to talk about that Goliath next week. That's right. Folks, the Lord sees not as man sees is the lesson of this chapter. We, you and I, judge by outward appearance. Ever since Adam and Eve thought that the forbidden fruit was pleasing to the what? I. Human beings have judged the worth of people and things by what our senses tell us. When we're choosing our leaders, or a team captain, or a class president, or a pastor, keep that in mind, or hiring a new employee if you're a boss at a job site, what do we often go by? Charisma, eloquence, intellect, beauty, strength, money, talent, social media presence, you, you name it. We, we look at all of these different qualifications, right? Outward, Outward appearance. That's all right, Connie. When trying to find a date, as some of you might have in your past or even now, what do we say? Is she hot? Is he handsome? Does he drive a cool car? Is she slim or overweight? Any scars? Gray hair? Varicose veins? Does he have a nice house? Those are the kinds of outward criteria we're looking at. When we move into a neighborhood for the first time, we ask, are they black or are they white? Are they Caucasian or are they Latino or are they Asian? We're looking at race. We're looking at racial identity on the outside. We're constantly saying to ourselves, will I look good if I do this or that? What can I do to make people like me more? Should I be funny or should I be serious? Should I be outgoing or laid back? What if I say the wrong thing? Am I dressed correctly? You know, when a person comes to our church on Sunday morning for the first time, that's what they're thinking. Am I going to fit here because of my dress, because of my appearance, my age, my religious background? All of these things that we think make up what the human being is worth. As a kid, I remember in the morning, I remember in the morning, my mom would say, I have to go put on my face. What was she talking about? She meant she had to go back in the restroom and put on her makeup. It's all about appearances, isn't it? That's especially true here in Central Florida. We live in a very image-driven city. 
My goodness, the nickname of Orlando is the City Beautiful. We know how to put on our face. But God is not like us. No, He looks on the heart. People judge you because of what's on the outside. But God is looking on the inside. He sees your character, your secret motivations, your attitudes, your desires, your values. Now look, this is not to say that you should not care about how you look. (laughs) Please don't hear me or the Lord's word saying that the body doesn't matter. It does matter. You and I are both body and soul. You should care about your appearance. It's okay to look as good as you can. It's okay to make your home look nice. Okay? Those are all good things to do. You'll notice, in fact, in our text, in verse 12, it even describes David's appearance. It says that David was ruddy. Do you know what ruddy? I had to look it up. We don't go around saying somebody looks ruddy. Hmm? A redhead, yeah, scholars think he had a full head of red hair, or he certainly had a rosy complexion. That's what it seems that ruddy means. He was ruddy, it says in verse 12, and he had beautiful eyes. And he was handsome, it says there too. So the body is a good thing. Don't hear the Bible or God de-emphasizing the body. It ought to be cared about. God is not an ascetic. You know what an ascetic? An ascetic is someone who flees the material and only believes the the spiritual is worth uh, taking care of. No, God's not like that. He doesn't value ugliness over beauty. He loves beauty. He created beauty for crying out loud. But, But here's the point. Outward appearance does not always equal inner reality. What I'm projecting on the outside can be very different from what's on the inside. And that's really scary, isn't it, friends? It's really scary how we can fool people. It's on the inside. That's what counts with God. Uh, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to support those whose heart is blameless before Him. Heart, heart, inside. The Lord looks at the heart. Now, all of that is the longest sermon introduction you've probably ever heard. (laughs) Because now I want to give you three implications of this truth. This truth that God looks at the heart. It ought to change your life. It ought to change our lives. Let me tell you three ways that if you really begin to understand how God looks at the heart, it ought to change your life. Three things, okay? Number one, it ought to change the way you look at yourself. The idea that God looks on your heart ought to change the way you look at yourself. Here's what I mean. Don't be too discouraged when you fail to receive the praise of men. Don't be too discouraged when you fail to receive praise from other people. After all, think about David, right? He was God's anointed. 
Yet nobody even thought of him when Samuel came looking for a king. He was the last resort, if a resort at all. <laughs> David's too young, they said. He's just a kid. He's nothing like Saul. He's too short. He's just a shepherd. He's too artsy. I don't know. I don't know what they said. But they had a list of reasons why David was not the right guy. He'd make a terrible king, they all thought. See, already you see David, though, as a type of Christ. This is one of the lessons we're going to draw from this series. That David, in David, we see uh, a symbol of Jesus in many different ways. And this is one way we see a type of Christ in David. Because the most significant human being in all of human history, Jesus Christ, was not praised by people, was he? In fact, he was nailed to a cross. Isaiah 53 says that he was despised and rejected by men. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So by all outward appearances, Jesus was a failure, according to human opinion. So human accolades are no indication that somebody is really special to God. In today's story, everybody praised King Saul, but he was rejected by God. Everybody praised Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah and all of these other sons of Jesse, but all of them were rejected by God. See, what matters is God's praise, not the praise of other people. So I say again, please, don't be too discouraged when you do what you thought was right or you did your best or you really put it out there or you, you tried to love or you tried to serve and you don't get any thanks, you don't get any praise. You moms, it's kind of your story, right? Don't get too discouraged because human praise is very deceiving. Don't trust it. Second thing, how should this truth about God being able to look at your heart, how should that truth change your life? Not only don't get too discouraged when you fail to receive praise, but here's the second implication. It ought to change the way you look at other people. Now this is huge. This idea that God really doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. It ought to change the way you look at other people. Each other here in this church, people outside, people, your neighbors, people you work with, people you pass down the street, people you see on the news. It ought to change the way you look at them. And here's what I mean. Beware. This is serious. Beware of writing people off because of the deficiencies you see in them. Beware of writing other people off because of the deficiencies that you see in them. Even godly Samuel, Samuel, this man who loved God, who was good, who was spiritual, even Samuel might have completely written David off if God hadn't said, this is the one. How many people, can you just kind of be honest with yourself? I, I'm, I've been trying to be honest about this as I've thought about this this week. How many people created in the image of God do you suppose you've written off? And you know what I mean by that, right? You think of them as sort of no, no count. They're, they're really kind of losers. They really, they really don't add value to you or anyone else. How many people do you suppose you might have written off? Of how many people have you said, 
What could he or she possibly contribute to my life? What a loser. What a bum. I mean, I doubt many of us, if ever, have said that out loud. But there's so many times, can I just admit to you, so many times that I've felt that way towards certain human beings created in the image of God. I wish that guy would get his head screwed on right, we might say, about someone. See, I think this passage means that we need to start seeing other people as the very reflection of God himself. Because that's who we are. We are the image of God. God didn't say that about the animal world, about the trees, about nature, about stars in the sky, the sun, moon. He said it about human beings. I'll make man in our image, male and female, in my image. So we need to start seeing other people as that because they're in process, just like you're in process. You're not a finished product, neither am I. Um, a few years ago, you might remember this, back in 2009, do you remember the name Susan Boyle? Uh, some of you do. Okay, Susan Boyle, perfect illustration of what we're talking about. She was a single woman who lived in Scotland with her cat, Pebbles. She had never been kissed and never even had a boyfriend all of her 48 years. On April 11, 2009, at the age of 48, she appeared on the reality TV show Britain's Got Talent. When she walked out on stage... The 10 million people watching the show thought, hmm, that's a really homely looking person. <laughs> what is she doing on Britain's Got Talent? But then she opened her mouth and sang, I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis, the musical. And people were absolutely blown away. If you've seen the video, you probably were too, as I was. It was beautiful. She went all the way to the final of Britain's Got Talent that season and came in second behind a fantastic dance troupe. Later that year, 2009, she put out a, a record album that was the fastest selling debut album in the UK of all time. In the US, it was one of only two albums to sell over three million copies. Since then, she's put out seven more records and even had a stage musical performed about her life. These days, Susan Boyle is still single, still takes care of her cat, volunteers at her church, and spends her time visiting the elderly people around her. Now, I don't know Susan Boyle. I'm not sure much about her, really. But I kind of think she's the real deal. She really seems to have a heart for the Lord. Our country, Dan alluded to this in his pastoral prayer this morning. Our country is a mess, isn't it? It is so divided. It seems that you're either on this side or that side, and there is no dialogue, no love sometimes between the two. You're either on the right or the left, conservative or liberal, pro-life or pro-choice, pro-gun or anti-gun, pro-mask or anti-mask. You're either going to kneel for the national anthem or stand. You're going to watch CNN or Fox News. It is one crazy world right now. Never seen anything like this. 
So much judgment. So much misunderstanding. How are we supposed to love our neighbor these days, friends? Because that's what God is calling us to do, right? Well, here's a start. Don't judge people by their outward appearance. Maybe their lifestyle really turns you off. Maybe they're on the opposite side of the aisle from you. But listen, you never really know a person's full story. Maybe they've, maybe they've messed up badly. Maybe they've been damaged by life, you know, by people, by tragedy. I didn't know Rafi's mom had died earlier this year. It's sad, isn't it? I didn't know his story. Makes me feel much more love for Rafi than I already had. So don't be so quick to write people off. Maybe they've been damaged by life, you know, by people, by tragedy. Every human being is the image of God. And so when you try to look beneath the surface, you might just see a person who's hurting. You might just see a person who's trying to get it together. You might even see a David in the making, a person that God loves. The Lord sees not as you and I see. God looks on the heart, and we should too. Yeah. Hmm. Be careful how you entertain strangers. Yeah, Connie, that's so true. They could be angels. It could totally surprise you who they are. Right, right, right. So she she paid you back in a way with an act of love and care. That's great. Well, we're glad she did. <laughs> Let's finish with this one more, this third implication. If, if, if it's true that God looks not at the outward but in the inward parts, it ought to change not only the way you look at yourself so you don't get too discouraged when people don't praise you, and it not only should help you change the way you look at other people, um, it should change the way you relate to God. It should change the way you and God relate to each other. There are Bible verses that ought to keep you awake at night if you're not a believer in Jesus. Let me read a few of them. It says, yeah, it says in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9 that the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. It says in Psalm 44, 21, that God knows the secrets of the heart. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 25, that the secrets of a person's heart are disclosed. That means will be laid bare. It says in Proverbs 17, 3, that the Lord tests the heart. And in Proverbs 21, 2, the Lord weighs the heart. Now, 
Remember what I said earlier about what the heart is. The heart is who you really are. So what are those verses saying? And there are many others, too, that are similar. They are saying that God knows the real you. He knows you like nobody else in the world knows you, better even than you know yourself. He knows what's going on inside you every moment of every day, what you think about, what you dream about, and what you really love. There's no fooling God. There's no fooling God. God is not mocked. You know, he, he doesn't play games. He doesn't play around. He knows the sins you try so hard to cover up. He knows those things that make us feel guilty and ashamed. That if anyone knew, we would never want to see that person again. God knows those things about you, about me. And let me tell you, God knows us so well that if we are not trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation on the day that God calls our number like he did Molly, we will not be admitted into heaven. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The scriptures say that there is no one righteous, not even one. And God sees what's really in here. No one is righteous, no one except Jesus, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus was everything that you're not. He had a perfect heart. <laughs> He, his outward matched his inward. He loved God with all his heart and he loved his neighbor as himself. And he is the only person in history who had this undivided heart. And when you follow Jesus, the most amazing thing happens. His record becomes yours. His heart, his obedience becomes yours. So that you can actually look into the face of God, though you are a sinner, and be declared righteous and accepted, and ushered, and welcomed into heaven when you follow Jesus. So if you've never done it before, do it now. Do it today. Turn from your sins. Stop relying on your good works, quote, unquote, and trust in Jesus, the only perfect person who's ever lived. He stands ready to receive you and give you a new life. And if you are a Christian, as I hope you are, each of you, <clears throat> rejoice in God's praise, not man's. Treat others with dignity, grace, and respect. And cling to the crucified one, the one who died and rose again, to take away your sins and give you a new heart, a clean heart, and an undivided heart. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we come to you today to ask you to help us remember what matters most because we forget. Lord, I, I forget so often. I become so critical of others. I become so envious of others at times. I want human praise. Lord, I suspect all of us struggle with these things to some degree. So please help us to glory in your praise, not the praise of other people. Give us your eyes to see other people as you see them, as the image of God. And if there's someone here this morning, Lord, who has not yet turned from sin and trusted in you, may this be the day that they find in you a love that will never let them go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning into Grace Church's sermon. 
We truly hope that the sermon edified you today and brought you closer to the Lord. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracearp.org. That's gracearp.org. If you'd like to visit us, our address is 1111 Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida, 32708. Again, that's 1111 Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida, 32708. We now pray that God will bless you as you go forward to bring his word to the world. And as always, we will see you next time here at Grace. Grace.